Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. She's basically had a surgery every year of her life because she's 10 and she's had nine. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the host of your program. We are in season 15 and we're happy you're here with us today. I'm very excited about today's show to feature a special heart mom. Today's show is entitled In Search of Support for Tetralogy of Fellow Parents and Survivors. Chelsea King is the mother of a baby who was born with Tetralogy of Fallot or TOF. And the baby also had pulmonary atresia. The baby was a twin born in Alaska. She was life flighted to Seattle for her heart surgery. Alaska did not have the ability to provide proper medical treatment. The baby was in Seattle for an entire month with her maternal grandfather before she was able to return home. Additionally, she has Duane syndrome and needed eye surgery. She also has primary hyperthyroidism and has had a parathyroidectomy. Her heart journey has been nothing less than a roller coaster ride, yet she goes through this journey with great strength and bravery. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Chelsea King. Thank you for having me, Anna, and giving me this opportunity. Oh, I'm so excited to learn more about your twin daughter. This is really cool. I don't do a whole lot of shows about twins, but I'm always fascinated how there can be a set of twins where one has a heart defect and the other is perfectly heart healthy. There is, yes. Are they identical twins? They are identical. That just amazes me. Okay, so let's start by talking about your pregnancy. What was your pregnancy like? And did you have a clue that one of the babies was going to have so many health issues? We found out that she had Tetralogy of Fallot when I was 20 weeks. I had the ultrasound done and they had seen a hole in her heart at first. So I was sent to Parentology to get a closer look at her and see how her and her twin were doing. And then that's when she was officially diagnosed with Tetralogy of Fallot. So that was fairly early. Yes. Were you surprised to have a baby with a heart defect or do heart defects run in your family? They do not run in our family. We were very surprised. (laughs) And then at the time, they had also said that her twin had trisomy 18. So it was kind of like walking into a brick wall. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, were the twins conceived naturally or were you taking medication to conceive? They were conceived naturally. Now, do twins run in your family? Surprisingly, no. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Okay. So you've had a lot of surprises since you got pregnant with these girls. Yes. Okay. So you had twins that you were carrying. You knew one was going to have Tetralogy of Fallot, which is not necessarily life-threatening. And then you knew you had another twin with trisomy 18. Correct. Now, is that potentially life-threatening? It could be, yes. 
Oh my goodness. Okay. But the positive was thankfully that that was a misdiagnosis. So oh. Sydney, my child, you love flow baby. Her twin actually has no health concerns at all. Wow. So how would they have misdiagnosed that? They didn't do a blood sample, I'm guessing. They just were able to determine that through an ultrasound? Correct. The back of her head where your neck is, it was a little bit deeper than normal. And that's how they said that she had trisomy 18 because it was more curved than typical. Oh, wow. Oh my gosh. You must have been a nervous wreck to know that you had two babies, both with major problems and you were in Alaska. Yes. It was a little flabbergasting. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Did they tell you right away you shouldn't deliver the babies in Alaska? I had that done in Anchorage because where I lived on Kodiak Island, my twins were actually the first twins in 20 years there. And so they were like, you need to go to Anchorage because we just do not have the facilities or anything for you here. So we flew up there and had all this done and found out that. And then they said, you need to go back home, pack your things, and you need to come up to Anchorage and stay here until you have these babies because Kodiak did not have the medical care or anything for that. Oh my goodness. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What were you doing in Kodiak? We lived there. Were you employed and your husband employed? We were actually going through a divorce at that time. And he was in Utah and I was in Kodiak with my family. (laughs) Oh, okay. So you were living there with your family. You were going through an awful lot, Chelsea. You poor thing. It was challenging. You went home for support. Your poor parents must have been flabbergasted. Oh, they were, but also thankful that they were able to be there with me and go through that. (laughs) They were my major support system for sure. Right. Did you have the means to be able to pick up and just move to Anchorage? That can be expensive. It was, but I had no choice. So I did go back home and packed my bag and then flew back to Anchorage about a week later. And I lived out of a hotel room right next to the hospital because I was so high risk until they were born at 36 weeks. Wow. Oh my goodness. What an experience. Yes. Did you have some friends in Anchorage so that you weren't alone or was your mom able to go with you or your dad? I did have a couple friends that would come and visit me. I was on strict bed rest as well, so I wasn't supposed to leave or anything. My grandma would fly up from Kodiak to Anchorage to visit me a few times. So, How sweet. Yay, grandmas. That's awesome. (laughs) Wow. I can see already, this was probably a very, very stressful time for you. It was. Now, what kind of prognosis were you given? You must have been given some kind of prognosis after the diagnosis. They weren't sure. Okay. That's fair. So they just said, not here. Go... (laughs) Go to Anchorage. And in Anchorage, they said, we don't know. Now, did they give you any indication that you may have to go all the way to Seattle for treatment? They had hinted she might be sent there. They just weren't sure. They kept telling us we have to see what she's like when she gets out. Because as you probably know, Chitralogy of Fallot, there's different levels of it. Some kids have it more severe than others. And it's hard to tell that when they're in utero. So when she came out, she was a blue baby. But you can't tell that when they're in utero. And then once she was born, they, of course, put her in the NICU right away. And 
watched her for a few days. And then on the fourth day, they said, we don't have the capability to take care of her. You guys have a choice of going to Portland to OHSU or to Seattle Children's Hospital. And we chose Seattle Children's Hospital because my father's aunt and uncle lived there. And the next day they said, okay, she's got to (laughs) go. We're life flighting you guys out of here. Oh, wow. For those listeners who may not be familiar with Tetralogy of Fallot, can you tell us what's involved with that diagnosis? Yes, there is four problems wrong with the heart, hence Tetra, Tetralogy, pulmonary valve stenosis, VSD, or ventricular septal defect, Mm -hmm. overriding aorta, right ventricular hypertrophy. With the right ventricular hypertrophy, her right ventricle was smaller than it was supposed to be? Correct. And so you said she came out blue. Does that mean that she didn't have a VSD or it wasn't very big? Right. And then also her pulmonary valve was extremely small. It's supposed to naturally open up when a child is born and hers did not. So they had to give her some prostaglandin right away? Correct. And then they wanted to get you guys out of Dodge into the mainland. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Now, you had just given birth to twins. Were you allowed to be on the flight going to the mainland? Or did you have to stay behind in the other hospital? I was not able to go because I had to have a C-section because they were concerned that having Sydney naturally would have put too much stress on her heart. So I had the C-section done and then I had her twin also there. And I had really high blood pressure at the time. And so they did not want me to fly as well. I was still healing from the surgery. Also, that was in 2009 when H1N1 was happening. So there was, if you recall, lots of restrictions. And so I didn't have a choice. My doctor would not let me go. And thankfully, my dad stepped up and said, well, I'm going. (laughs) And then you had the relief of knowing the other twin was perfectly fine. You didn't have to worry about her. Yes. So you were in one hospital with one twin and your sweet dad followed the baby. I imagine they didn't let him on the flight either, did they? They did, actually. He was able to fly on the life flight with Sydney. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. So he didn't even have to be separated from his granddaughter for a minute. Correct. Yes. Oh, I bet those two have a really special bond. They do. It's amazing. Actually, (laughs) it's incredible the bond that they have because he has been the one there since day one. Texas Heart Institute were offering us a mechanical heart and he said, no, dad, I've had enough. Give it to someone who's worthy. My father promised me a golden dress to twirl in. He held my hand and asked me where I wanted to go. Whatever strife or conflict that we experienced in our long career together was always healed by humor. Heart to Heart with Michael. Please join us every Thursday at noon Eastern as we talk with people from around the world who have experienced those most difficult moments. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now... 
back to Heart to Heart with Anna. Chelsea, before the break, we learned a little bit about your daughter's heart condition. Now let's talk about the support or a lack of support that you felt after you gave birth to the girls. My family was the biggest support. Where we were at in Alaska at that time, nobody was really educated on Chitralogy of Below and they weren't really experienced in it, hence why we were sent to Seattle. Sure. So it was scary. There was no support system like there is now on Facebook and all kinds of different social media platforms. I didn't have that. So it was difficult. We had to trust every medical personnel we could and their word for it. That is where we learned that advocacy is a very strong role. We learned a lot about advocating for Sydney. Right, right. Now you were lucky because you had your dad there advocating for her while you had to be separated by a thousand miles or so. Yeah, it's pretty far. (laughs) It's not like you could just jump in a car and get there right away and be there with your baby. So that had to be scary. And then even after you all were reunited, that was way before Facebook. That was way before the internet was like it is now. If you didn't have face to face support, you didn't have any. And if your baby, had a condition that was so rare that people in the community didn't have to deal with that, you were alone. Yes. And I'm sure you felt very alone. We did. Was there a support group at the hospital for children with special needs or was there really not anything there for the parents? The hospital that they were born at or the one in Seattle? Oh, gosh. I guess the one that was treating Sydney after she came home? Because surely she had a local cardiologist, right? No. (laughs) (gasps) Oh my gosh, Chelsea. Sydney came home after the month at Seattle Children's Hospital, we had to go back to Kodiak because that's where we had initially lived. So every time she had to see her cardiologist, we would have to fly the hour flight to Anchorage. That was the closest cardiologist. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's a lot of flying. In Kodiak, I would have to take her for weekly oxygen checks and to see her primary pediatrician. But no, there's no cardiologist or anything like that in Kodiak, Alaska. It's very rural. (laughs) I guess you got to know some of the pilots pretty well. Oh, yes. We were frequent flyers. (laughs) (laughs) Did that hospital in Anchorage have any kind of support for you or for the baby? No, since we lived in Kodiak, we just kept in touch with the cardiologist there. We did not have a support group or anything like there is down here in the States. You really were isolated in so many ways. We were. We did, however, have the infant learning program that assisted Sydney. She was, of course, behind and had some delays because of her condition. Mm -hmm. So we did have them, but there was no program or congenital heart defect program or anything like that available. Okay. I'm going to fast forward because that was 10 years ago. What was the kindest thing that anyone has done for you in the 10 years since your daughter was diagnosed with Tetralogy of Fallot? I guess support would be the kindest thing. And also people reaching out and asking me for help with their heart children. I had a few people in Kodiak reach out to me once they had heard that I had had a congenital heart defect baby. That's made my heart feel good. And I thought it was kind of them to come and ask me for support. Yes. Just from my experiences. You became a resident expert. (laughs) Not that you wanted that role, but 
you learned how to be an advocate. You learned what congenital heart defects were. And even if their child didn't have the same heart defect, I'm sure they were thrilled just to be able to reach out to somebody who had a clue about what they were going through and the things that they were going to have to do, which is probably exactly what you had to do. They probably had to go to a different hospital for care and face that uncertainty just like you did. Yes. Yes. So you were able to provide them with maybe some helpful advice? Yes. And I think it was comforting for them to hear that we had gone through that and that she was eventually on her way to healing. And it was supporting them and giving them a positive outlook on it. I love that. Because you didn't have that yourself, you knew how important that was. And you were able to turn around and to give back to that community. Yes. And I think that's very important because we had gone through a blind journey with my daughter. And if I can help somebody else not go through that, I am more than happy to. (laughs) Do you still live in Kodiak? No, we currently live in Washington. So that we're closer to Seattle Children's Hospital for her heart care. Okay. Did your whole family move there or was that just a decision that you made on your own? We all moved actually. Well, most of us, my grandma's still back in Alaska. But your mom and your dad, it sounds like they're a very vital part of your family. Oh, they are. Yes. And your dad still has that special bond with Sydney? Yes. Yes, actually. I think she trusts him more than me at times just because he's always <laughs> been there for her when I wasn't able to. And so, yes, they have a very unique and special bond. That's just beautiful. And your mom, she was like, I'm not leaving my little girl. Yes, she stayed behind with me. (laughs) Hi, my name is Jamie Alcroft, and I just published my new book, The Tin Man Diaries. It's an amazing story of my sudden change of heart as I went through a heart and liver transplant. I can think of no better way to read The Tin Man Diaries than to cuddle up in your favorite Hearts Unite the Globe sweatshirt and your favorite hot beverage, of course, in your Hearts Unite the Globe mug, both of which are available at the Hug Podcast Network online store, or visit heartsunitetheglobe.org. Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Before the break, Chelsea, we were talking about the kind of support that you had 
10 years ago and a little bit about the kind of support that you're providing now, which I think is completely awesome. I love the photos of you and your girls on Facebook. Friends, you should see these girls. They're just so precious. Everybody looks so happy and so healthy. What advice do you have for other heart moms who might be facing a difficult roller coaster journey through heart surgeries, just like what you've had to go through? I would suggest doing your research for one, (laughs) finding support groups. I think that is a huge thing. I see on one of the Facebook pages, there's tons of moms out there that I read their posts and it's the same way I felt. And it's amazing to me that we're in 2020, yet these families still go through the same thing with Tetralogy of Fallot and they definitely need that support. So reach out. Don't be afraid to ask. Put it out there and ask questions. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. I think asking questions and doing the research is so important. It's so much easier now, isn't it, Chelsea? It is. Like, for example, my daughter also got diagnosed with Duane syndrome in 2011, and we were still in Alaska at the time. Well, we didn't know much about that either. And the eye doctor had suggested a bilateral eye surgery to try and fix that. So, of course, we trusted him and got it. But in the long run, that did not help her at all. When we got down here to the States, we found out about eye therapy. We started doing that with her and oh my goodness, that has helped her so much more than any other surgery. So again, I advise do your research because if we would have known, we wouldn't have had that extra surgery. Goodness, she was going through enough with her heart surgeries and everything. So now for my listeners who may not know what Duane's syndrome is, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Duane syndrome is a congenital eye condition, and it's when the inside and outside of both eye muscles are extremely tight. The eyes cannot move side to side. And then they also see in more of, I want to say like a 3D, and she doesn't have any peripheral vision. Hmm. Wow. But there are therapies that can help to relax those muscles? Or- Correct. Okay. They make the eyes work. Just like physical therapy or occupational therapy, you're moving the body and getting it used to moving around and getting the feel of itself. That's what eye therapy can do for the eyes as well. What did they do in the surgery? They cut the muscles on both sides of her eyes actually to try and loosen them up. Oh, that sounds scary. It was. (laughs) I mean, especially with a heart baby, you would definitely have to go under anesthesia and you don't want your heart baby to have anesthesia any more than, well, you don't want any baby to have to have anesthesia any more than they absolutely have to. Right. Wow. So clearly the surgeon who did the surgery didn't know that she had Duane syndrome. What did they think she had? Oh, he diagnosed her with Duane syndrome and he said that she needed the surgery in order to fix the Duane syndrome. Oh, okay. So this was just a different philosophy of treatment then. Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. And hopefully it did no harm? It did not do any harm, no, but it also didn't help her either. (laughs) Because she still had to wear glasses and everything. And is that the case now? Does she still have to wear glasses? Yes, she does. Okay. So this is something that she'll probably have to deal with forever? Correct. Yes, because it's congenital as well. Okay. But she's able to move her eyes better than if she hadn't had the physical therapy. Correct. Yes. Eye therapy has helped her significantly. Now, does this also affect the acuity? It does. Yes. Is it progressive? If you stay on top of eye therapy and keep up on the eye prescriptions, it can keep the eyes the same. 
but you have to keep up on that. Otherwise the eyes just kind of focus and get used to what they're doing. So you got to keep them active by doing the eye therapy. So at this point in her life, are the eyes more of a concern and more of a daily struggle than her heart defect? Hmm. That's hard to say (laughs) because right now she actually had her heart follow up last month and got cleared for another year due to her melody valve that she received. So we focus on her eyes. Yes, I guess more now, especially since she is going into fifth grade. Reading and seeing the teacher is very important for her education. So we do focus on eye therapy exercises at home that we do and she wears her glasses throughout every day. Sure. Absolutely. So you were saying that Sydney has had a melody valve. Yes, she got hers in 2018. So how many surgeries has she had? That was her ninth one. Oh my goodness. Her ninth heart surgery or just her ninth surgery overall? Her ninth surgery in all. Okay. But she only had one eye surgery. Correct. So and one open heart, and then all of the rest were catheter surgeries for angioplasties. She said several stent placements as well. Wow. So she has seen the hospital a lot. That's why it made sense for you all to go ahead and move to Washington. Yes. She's basically had a surgery every year of her life because she's 10 and she's wow. had nine. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of emotional stress to have to go through. What kind of emotional support have you had over the years, Chelsea? Again, my family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're everything. They're a backbone for sure because it is emotional. Yeah. Well, I mean, even as a parent, we go through PTSD. Yes. I know certain smells will take me right back, even though my son is in his 20s. In a few days, my son is going to turn 26, and yet there are certain smells, there are certain things that I see that take me back like it was yesterday. And for you, it almost was, because you've been (laughs) back and forth so many times. Do you see a counselor? I don't. I really should. My grandma tells me that all the time. Chelsea, you need to go see a counselor, (laughs) because every time I talk about my Sydney, my heart kind of drops, and I cry, and... I feel relieved talking about it. It helps. So I should really see a counselor for my own emotional health. Yeah, I think so too. I have seen a counselor in the past. Actually, several times I've seen a counselor and I've belonged to a number of support groups as well. It's rough what we go through. And you have twins. I can't even imagine. Is the other twin perfectly healthy and hasn't had any surgeries? Yes, she's perfectly healthy and hasn't had to have any surgeries. Well, that's a huge blessing. Well, tell me what has been the most helpful for you as a heart mom and your heart warrior and her twin sister as far as any support that you have received, Chelsea. In the past few years, the most helpful thing would probably be the forum group um, on Facebook, actually. Hearing different stories, reading about the other stories. It's very comforting to know that we're not alone. Also, last year was our first congenital heart walk that we joined. So I finally found one here. And so we went and walked that last fall. And that was great for Sydney to see other children like her. Sure. It was a great time. We were emotional, but it was a good kind of emotional because then she doesn't feel so alone in her journey as well, which is great. 
Yeah. Now, have you been able to find any camps or anything that you and your family can partake in? Actually, we did learn about a camp in Portland last year when we went to the congenital heart walk and she was going to go to it this year, but then COVID-19 happened. Uh, COVID (laughs) has really messed up so much, darn it. Is it one of the camps where the twin sister can go as well? No, this one is actually only for congenital heart defect children. You need to go on my website, congenitalheartdefects.com and look at the camps. There are actually some camps that the whole family can go to and they have special activities for the siblings. Oh, how great. It would be perfect. It would be perfect. You really do need to check that out. And also there is a program called Sib Shops. Have you ever heard of this? No, I have not. Sib Shops is a program for siblings of children with special health needs. It's not specific to heart defects, but it's for children whose siblings have had to have multiple procedures, like children who have cancer or other certain congenital defects. And it's a safe place for the siblings to go. It makes them feel like they're not so alone. Sip shops. Look it up. Mm -hmm. I did a show where I interviewed the man who started that program a long time ago. I'll send you the link and I'll put the link in the show notes as well. It's an excellent program. They have trained people all over the United States to be able to offer these sip shops. And they're just little workshops. I think it's something that is either a day or a weekend long, and that's it. But it gives those siblings a chance to reach out to other siblings because what they're experiencing is very, very different than the child who's actually in the hospital. It is. I agree with that. I know. During COVID-19, there are no summer camps going on, although some of the camps are doing virtual camps, which kudos to them. I think it's amazing that everybody is learning how to make adjustments when they have to. And the cool thing about a virtual camp is that you can attend it from anywhere, which is really, really awesome. Well, Chelsea, I can't believe our time is up already. This has gone by so fast. Thank you so much for coming on the program today. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that's it for this week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna, please take a moment and leave a review on whatever platform you use to listen to our program. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have been inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart defect community. Heart to Heart with Anna, with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time.